All right, guys, let's open up to the book of Jonah, either in your Bibles or on your device. Do yourself a favor and uh, put your electronics on silent, please. Book of Jonah. We're doing a quick start series where we overview uh, one of the minor prophets each week, and this week we've come to the book of Jonah. Here's a great quote about the book of Jonah. It says, for the past century, we have been living in an age that has created a certain attitude towards the book. It's impossible to open the book and take a reading from it anywhere without people's thoughts centering on the fish. Men have been so busy with tape lines trying to find the dimensions of the fish's belly that they seem to have had no time to plumb the depths of the teaching of the book. Jonah is a historical account. It is a true story. The events in it, including Jonah being swallowed and surviving, are real. How do we know they're real? Jesus Christ himself referred to Jonah as a prophet, and he spoke of his experiences in the fish. He pointed to his critics, uh, rather, he pointed his critics to Jonah's experience three days and three nights in the fish. Uh, And so uh, either Jesus didn't know what he was talking about, he didn't have the benefit of the higher criticisms, uh, or Jonah is a true story. And so case closed. And, and I, you know, I admit that you, you get sidetracked on, on the fish and, and all, and, but there's so much good stuff in the book of Jonah. Uh, God's compassion is the theme of the book, and you see it immediately in the opening verses. In verses 1 and 2, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, in first reading, you see God's condemnation against the wicked people, but as the book progresses, you come to understand that God would rather save them than destroy them. Jonah himself says in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah was sent to tell them they were condemned in the hope that they would respond to God's compassion so that he could relent of his judgment. God's compassion is best summarized by the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3, 9. This is a verse that we like to quote a lot. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so uh, I like, uh, you, you really, if you underline or highlight or wherever you do, Jonah 4.2, you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. What a great testimony from Jonah. Now, Jonah hailed from a town called gath Hefer, situated about an hour's journey from Nazareth. So if you're familiar with the geography of the Holy Land, that's where he came from. There's a Jewish legend that he was the widow's son whom Elijah brought back to life. Uh, That's all that it is, a legend or a tradition among the Jews. It can't be proven. It can't be disproven. Whether true or not, he is assumed uh, on a scholarly level to have been a disciple of Elisha who uh, followed Elijah in ministry. The book opens with God giving Jonah his mission. God said, go, and Jonah fled in the exact opposite direction. And the reason is, Jonah knew God's compassion. He understood it. 
Jonah did not want the Assyrians spared and saved. Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, Assyria, a world power at that time. And so he attempted to flee from God's commission, but he quickly found out that he could not. Nineveh was no small town. It was one of the greatest cities of the world. Sadly, the city was as great in its wickedness as it was in its wealth and its power. God had raised it up, but on account of her sin, he was calling her to account. And so in verse 3 of chapter 1, Jonah arose uh, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah found this ship headed to Tarshish and he booked passage. God told him to go east. He set out west about 2,500 miles, which was as far as you could go west in those days. Uh, Tarshish is believed to be the coast of Spain. And so uh, he went the exact opposite direction as fast and as far as he could. Now, what's interesting, there's a whole study here in this verse uh, in the sense that it, it says he found a ship. He found a ship. He could afford the fare. And once he got on the ship, if you read the book, he found that he could sleep in peace. He went to sleep uh, in his bunk on the ship. Circumstances can be deceiving. God told him to go to Nineveh. He went down to the harbor and he had the resources and the means and the desire and he found a ship going in the opposite direction. You can't determine God's will for your life merely by circumstances. His will is found first and foremost in his word. Jonah needed to live on the word of God, not on his perception. Christians too often allow circumstances to comfort them while they are actively disobeying God. And, and this, happens, this happens in a variety of ways. It's usually not as obvious as this. But um, you, you need to be careful. I know God opens doors, he shuts doors. But you need to be careful um, thinking that just because something has been provided that, oh, this, this must be uh, God's uh, will. Oh, look, here's a ship going to Tarshish. Maybe I didn't hear God. Yeah, that wasn't God. That was just, that was crazy. So I'll go as far away as I can. I have the money to book passage. I have a real peace about it. These are all things that we say. Jonah had a real peace about going to Tarshish. He fell asleep. Thought, man, I'm, I'm home free now. What's God gonna do? God had a plan, of course. Uh, and so just be careful. Uh, be, be critical in your thinking. Don't, don't just go, you know, uh, by signs and things that, that are happening. Let God confirm those things. And especially, uh, you know, we live in an age, I, I've been telling you, and some of you have experienced this firsthand with your friends and all, where you can read something very simple and plain in the word of God and people can say, well, I don't think it means that or it doesn't really apply to me or... Uh, God will forgive me, those kinds of things. People have lost the fear of the Lord and they just kind of go on their own feelings. And uh, Jonah's gonna find out that that's not uh, very smart. As soon as Jonah fled, God began to act. In verse four, it says, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. The sailors recognized something supernatural was occurring Jonah finally told them to throw him overboard. He said, the only way that you can get out of this trouble is to throw me overboard. And interestingly enough, the, the sailors hesitated. They seemed to value life more than Jonah did. I mean, one thing I'll say to Jonah, he was all in. 
When Jonah made up his mind, he was all in. He was not going to Nineveh. And he's at a point now where he says, I'd rather drown in the sea than go to Nineveh. What's God going to do? I think it probably, the storm probably freaked him out a little bit, not from the point of view of, of, of fear because he's willing to drown, but you know, I, th- I think probably once he was on the ship, he thought he was home free. What's God going to do? Well, this great supernatural storm rose up uh, and these experienced sailors didn't know what to do. And Jonah says, well, I'll, I, I'll, God raised them and he said, I'll raise you. I'm just going to have them throw me in the ocean and I'll drown. But in no way am I going to Nineveh. So they picked up Jonah, verse 15, and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. I say these sailors were converted. They knew of the God of Jonah, even though he was a terrible witness, not really doing his job. But they knew about Jonah's God, and, and, and he, at least Jonah did give a testimony. He said, you know, if you throw me in the ocean, this storm will dissipate. They, it says here, they feared God, which is used as an expression of saving faith. They offered a sacrifice, which was the proper way to approach God. And it says they took vows. Now, if they had taken vows before the sea grew calm, I'd be suspicious. Like, you know... God, if you save us, then, you know, we'll do this. But uh, because many people make promises to God when they are in trouble, only to forget them after the trouble is passed. But these guys took vows afterward, indicating some kind of a, a recognition of the God of Israel, if not a true conversion. And so Jonah, kind of doing his best to, uh, to really not lead anybody to Christ, he doesn't want to talk to the Ninevites. He doesn't really give a testimony to these sailors. Of course, he, he maybe doesn't feel that he can because he's in disobedience. And God still uses him. Now, I don't, I don't recommend that you get excited about your disobedience and how God can use you even though you're disobedient. But it's interesting that God is bigger than all of those things. And so Jonah was his prophet, and he's going to use him one way or the other. And so these guys get saved. And then in verse 17, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I'm really not going to take a great deal of time to convince you that this really happened. There are great fish large enough to swallow a man whole. The Bible never says it was a whale, but if it was a whale, there are whales large enough to swallow a man whole. Most of you have probably heard of a particular historical account, James Bartlett, who in 1891 on the whaling ship Star of the East was swallowed by a whale and lived. Now, I want to tell you that there is now some dispute over whether or not that is a true account. Uh, It may be true, it may not be true. You know, the internet has done wonderful things both ways. It's made it, uh, there's a lot more information, but it's also a lot easier to try and verify information, and it's harder for ministers to get away with their fake stories. And so, uh, just, you know, I do it now, I have to, I have to go through my notes and I think, I better really look that up, you know, because back when you, you know, you have a tendency to trust the commentaries that you're reading or listening to, and, and you realize that this guy read that guy who read that guy, and you don't know what the original source was. And so, so this Bartlett story, I'm not really sure if it's true or not. But it doesn't matter. None of that actually matters. 
Because this book isn't about James Bartlett, it's about God's compassion. And there's a word in verse 17 that settles the matter. It says, the Lord prepared a great fish. He prepared a fish. Uh, If he had to, he made a miraculous fish uh, because he's God. So somehow he prepared a great fish uh, to swallow Jonah. Uh, To me, it's more of a miracle that the fish was right there dogging the ship. I mean, how did the, how did, you know, do you understand what I'm talking about? In the whole sea that they had available to them, as soon as Jonah gets thrown overboard before he has a chance to drown, he's swallowed by this fish that just happens to be in the vicinity. Uh, and so it, Jonah was swallowed. Now, the rest of chapter two is regarded as Jonah's prayer. Interestingly, very little of it is him praying. You're told he prayed and you're given snatches of his prayer, but most of the words are his description of what he experienced in the pit of the great fish. In each case, what he experienced is a reminder of the privileges that belong to him as a believer. God gives Jonah a second opportunity to fulfill his mission. Verse 1 of chapter 3, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Let me share some interesting facts I learned about the Assyrians. One of their gods was named uh, named Dagon, D-A-G-O-N, Dagon. His name is from the root word meaning fish. Dagon was represented by an idol that was half human and half fish. So you're on the beach at the Mediterranean coast, you're a wealthy Assyrian and you're enjoying a day at the coast, A great fish comes up out of the water onto the shore and pukes up a prophet. (laughs) I mean, this really happened. You know, you've seen pictures of the, you know, the big beached whales. You know, all of a sudden, I mean, it's kind of, anybody seen, you know, man, this is freakish. You know, all of a sudden there's this big, this big, uh, you know, thing. And then you think, man, I was just body surfing right there. You know, when you get really freaked out, go scuba diving. I'll tell you what, you'll never want to go swimming again in the ocean without a knife. But uh, anyway, isn't it amazing? I used to think when I was a kid, what are those guys fishing in the surf for? There can't be anything in there. And then they're pulling out these monster sharks, you know, and stuff. But anyway, so you're on the beach, you're at the beach, and this great fish, maybe a whale, but a fish big enough to hold a man inside of it, and he kind of... I think it was, I think God really, it's like a cat getting a hairball up is the way I see it. Yeah, I mean, just, you might as well get some mileage out of this if you're going to do it, you know. (laughs) You know, maybe they had a conservancy in that, those days, and they were getting people together to try and help the beached fish, and all of a sudden, and Jonah comes flying out of this fish, and you happen to be a worshiper of Dagon, half human and half fish God. Uh, I think you have some fear of uh, what's happening right now because a man comes out of a fish and this is kind of a supernatural event to you. One other point, his name is Jonah. One of the names for Dagon in English is spelled O-A-N-N-E-S and if you were put an I in front of that name, it is Jonah in Assyrian. And so Jonah the, the, for all they know, the servant of Dagon gets blown up on the beach. And I mean, this is freaky stuff. Big news in Assyria. And so then he goes through town announcing judgment. Verse four, and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. 
It was several days of walking through the city. And here's his message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. You know, today, um, there's a lot of uh, controversy all the time and argument among Christians about what constitutes the gospel. And has the gospel really been shared if certain words and certain things haven't been spoken? And for sure, it's possible to, to miss the gospel, to not really share the gospel, to not let people know that Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and uh, that Jesus is God and those kinds of things. But, you know, sometimes it's just splitting hairs. But Jonah, he doesn't really share anything about a hope of the gospel or any good news or, or any, any ideas of repentance even. He doesn't call the people to repentance. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He could almost do it gleefully. He could almost do it with joy. You know, some people call Jonah the reluctant prophet. I think he was the defiant prophet. I mean, he, God had to pretty much force him to do everything, and he did it. He's like your kid, you know. You know you should spank him because he's, he's not really doing what you want him to do in the right heart, but he, he's kind of doing it. And, and so, you know, Jonah's going around just saying, hey, you, Assyrian, 40 days and you're, de- you're toast, your history. See this building over here? Leveled. You guys are going to be overthrown in 40 days. And, and now, when we get to the verse I read earlier, where Jonah knows the heart of God, I think he's trying to, set, I think he's trying to actually give these people a despair. He's trying to make them see that there's no hope for them. There's, you might as well not even repent, because 40 days from now, it's going to be over. Much to Jonah's discouragement, the common people in Nineveh repented, followed by the nobles. And so in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. What kind of an evangelist is this guy? Well, it's important to understand why Jonah was so displeased with the conversion of Nineveh. Prior to his ministry there, God had spoken through Isaiah, Hosea, and Micah, saying that he would use the Assyrian Empire to discipline his people Israel for their sins. Jonah was aware of those prophecies, and all Jews were aware of those prophecies. Jonah also read the morning newspapers, as it were, Recently, Assyria was in a state of decline and had suffered a few military defeats. If Assyria continued to decline, perhaps Israel would be spared. Then the call came, arise, go to Nineveh. And Jonah, of course, knew what might become of that. And so if you were a Jew and you were a prophet, you were in some confusion, I guess, because God had said he was going to use Assyria to discipline Israel. But then you saw that Assyria was on a decline, uh, and, and, and so you were kind of happy about that. And then the call comes, I, want, I need you to go to Nineveh and, and announce a message of judgment to them. And you think, oh, Lord, they're going to repent. I know it. And they're going to fulfill the prophecy of disciplining your people, aren't they? And so Jonah, um, Jonah knew what might happen. As a patriotic Jew, he didn't want to have anything to do with this mission. Uh, think, of, think of the people that you would least like to minister to in the world. I, I don't know who it is, you know, whether it's the Iranians or who, whoever we hate now in the movies. Certainly 
the North Koreans qualify, I guess. You notice all the movies, if you need a real bad guy, it's, it's a North Korean now. You know, there, it used to be the Russians, but now they're our friends, sort of. But uh, think of the person that you would least like to minister to, and that's who God was sending Jonah to. The book ends abruptly with Jonah sulking, sitting outside the city under a gourd God had provided him. It says in verse 6 of chapter 4, and the Lord God prepared a giant a plant rather and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. Jonah was very grateful for the plant. The plant that grew over Jonah's shelter called a gourd in some Bibles. Commentators are almost universal in identifying it as the Racinius Communists. Of course, you already knew that, right? Those of you who are horticulturists. More commonly called the castor bean or the castor plant. It also has another common name. It's called the Palma Christi or the Palm of Christ. I don't want to get too mystical about that, but it's too odd to overlook. And so this Palma Christi, this castor bean, was the gift of God. It was attacked by worms, and then it withered in the heat. Worms and heat remind you of God's description of hell. Hell was described by Jesus as a place where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. Now, Jesus never suffered in hell, but he did take upon himself the penalty for sin that all mankind deserved. Those who trust him for salvation will not perish in hell where their worm dies not and their fire is not quenched. And so there's a lot of little clues in here uh, about other symbolic things. And um, I should mention that Jonah becomes for us and for the Jews a type of Israel, And when you understand this, it helps to make sense of some of the odd details. Now, all the things in the book of Jonah happened historically, just as God said. Uh, But some of the details are odd, you know, being swallowed by a fish and sitting under a gourd and all of that. It's, It's a very unusual story. And here's what some who see typology have made out of that. Jonah was called to reach Gentiles. So was Israel. Actually, the mission of the nation of Israel was to reach the world for God. They were to be evangelists to the other nations of the world. Jonah refused to obey God. So did Israel. You don't have to read very far into the Gospels to understand that the Jews were not interested in Gentiles getting saved or in Gentile nations uh, worshiping Jehovah. Jonah was punished by being cast into the sea. Uh, If you do any reading at all in commentaries, you'll find that the sea is sometimes a reference used by Jews of the Gentile world as if they are surrounded by a sea of Gentiles. We use that expression today still, like there's an ocean of people, you know. uh, Seems like there's an ocean of people every time you go to Disneyland, you know. There's just a sea of people around you. Well, the Jews understood the Gentiles and their nations to be like the sea around them. For her disobedience, Israel was cast into the sea of Gentile nations. Jonah was miraculously preserved, so is Israel. Jonah repented, was cast out of the fish, and restored to life and service. Israel, though cast out by all the nations, has returned to her land and one day will be restored to spiritual life. Nineveh was brought to salvation. Israel shall bring many nations to Jesus Christ. And so when you see, um, you know, You think, okay, God, why a fish? Why this? Um, And uh, so there is some symbolic meaning to it uh, if you're a Jew. Now, both Jonah and God were camping out in the foothills overlooking Nineveh as they repented. 
They both saw the same people. God had pity on them, and Jonah just did not. In verse 10, but the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? And, and so um, there's, there's a lot going on here between God and Jonah. You know, Jonah, Jonah had real pity and, and, and concern for his plant. And God said, what about these people, especially the children and, and the animals? I mean, what, shouldn't I have compassion on them? And, um, you know, a lot of times, I mean, quite honestly, um, if we're not careful, we sometimes care more about things than we do about people. Uh, and, and that's sort of what the Lord is pointing out. Now, J. Vernon McGee, who we all like to listen to, he makes an interesting point about pity. <laughs> he says it de- doesn't depend upon or even wait for feelings. Jonah didn't have to love these people in order to reach them with the gospel. He could have loved them, but he didn't, and he didn't need to. You and I don't need to wait for feelings before we can have pity on people. In fact, oftentimes we need to repress our feelings. The truth is we are often surrounded by people who are not even likable, let alone lovable. We need to look upon them the way God does as pitiable because they are perishing. He's not willing that any should perish, and that should be our will too. And We should be willing to go into any Nineveh of God's choosing. Amen?